to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to podcast Freshly Forever. Today I have here with us Glenn Mercer, who is a playwright, screenwriter, and author. Glenn began his career as a stand-up comic in San Francisco before devoting himself to playwriting. He wrote for network television for many years before stumbling into a career writing books that advocate the plant-exclusive diet. It's such a pleasure to have Glenn Mercer here on the show with us. Hey, Glenn, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vine. Good to be with you. Well, your journey from a stand-up comic to an author and now a huge advocate of plant-exclusive diet. Can you take us through all of that, Glenn? All right. When I got out of college, I decided to be a stand-up comic, and I did that in San Francisco for a couple of years, but the smoke got to me. You know, in those days, everybody smoked in nightclubs, and I, I had mm-hmm. uh, my health was always important to me, and I just couldn't justify risking my life to tell jokes. So I got out of the stand-up comedy world and I started writing plays. I was always writing comedies. I was just trying to make people laugh. And mm-hmm. I had become a vegetarian at, at the age of 17 because there was so much heart disease in my family. I didn't want to be middle-aged at 25 because all the men seemed to die uh, in their 50s. So I was a vegetarian, but stupidly I kept eating cheese because I had an obese aunt and uncle who were very concerned that I wouldn't get enough protein. Mm -hmm. I ate cheese for 19 years, and then in my mid-30s, I started to get pains around my heart. I thought, here I am, a vegetarian. I'm only in my 30s. My blood pressure is good. My weight is good. Why am I getting heart pains? And I thought about it, and I realized that cheese is coagulated liquid meat, saturated fat and cholesterol, just like meat. So I gave up cheese 30 years ago. I've been a vegan for 30 years, haven't had any chest pain since then. I've been in good health. I've never needed any pharmaceutical drugs except an occasional antibiotic. And I've gone on to write books advocating the plant-exclusive diet. Awesome. That, that just is a wonderful story right there. You just mentioned books, and you have written close to a dozen books now. Yeah. Written, authored, or co-authored? Okay. Okay. We have definitely been privy to some uh, very good thought in, in every one of those books. And so taking ownership of one's health, just like you, how best can you highlight the importance of this? And you explain beautifully in your book, Own Your Health, as to how your parents kind of saved one another, right? Yes, my parents saved each other's lives. I tell the story and own your health. One day when they were in their 60s, I think, uh, my mother said to my father that she needed to go to the dermatologist about some varicose veins. My father hated doctors, but but he (laughs) reluctantly drove her to the dermatologist. He waited in the waiting room. My mother went in to see the dermatologist who said, what seems to be, be the problem, Dorothy? And she said, the problem is my husband. The dermatologist said, well, what can I do about that? She said, he's in the waiting room. Bring him in. The dermatologist went to the waiting room, brought brought in my father. As soon as my father walked uh, into the doctor's office, my mother blocked the door and said, look at that thing on his cheek. He refuses to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, like a, a dark mole on his cheek that had grown. 
The doctor said we have to uh, biopsy that. They biopsied it. It was melanoma. Oh, no. Uh, they scheduled the surgery. It was all removed. It saved his life. That was a case where going to the doctor can save your life. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no reason not to go to the dermatologist if you've got something growing on your body that you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. The opposite happened about four or five years later when they retired to Florida. My mother went to a cardiologist there who was actually the son of her childhood friend. The cardiologist said that she had a severe 90% blockage of her carotid artery. She needed an immediate immediate, uh, angioplasty. There was no time to lose. She Mm -hmm. had to do this. My father said, don't do it. He'll kill you. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to him. He's just trying to make money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, he said, if you do it, I'll divorce you. So he wasn't very woke, my father, you know, so he put a lot of pressure on my mother. My mother was torn between the doctor and my father. The doctor was furious and said, who are you going to listen to him or me? I'm the doctor. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh And my mother said, well, I'm going to go with my husband on this one because we just got new furniture. And if we get divorced, I may lose it. (laughs) So uh, my father said, just talk to Glenn about what to eat. So my mother didn't get the angioplasty. By then you were already on a plant. Yes, I was on a plant-exclusive diet. My mother had cut down on meat, but she hadn't cut it out completely. So I got her to cut it out just about completely. She had the occasional fish, but she was mostly vegetarian. That was when she was in her mid-60s. She lived to almost 99 so she didn't need that immediate angioplasty. Okay. You know, one or two percent of people die on the table. Then uh, their stents are put in. The stents get occluded. And, you know, you go down that route. As my father was becoming aware, you get into that medical mill, and sometimes there's no getting out. Mm-hmm. So it was wiser for my mother just to improve her diet and not listen to the doctor. So that's why I say they saved each other's lives. That's just beautiful. I mean, he just told her, listen to Glenn and you having already been on a plant exclusive diet, you yeah. were able to kind of uh, service an inspiration to her as well. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. And you also talk about your wife's journey with lupus. Is that right? Yes. Chapter five of Own Your Health is the story of my wife's struggle to uh, overcome the symptoms of lupus. We never say she's cured because, you know, it's it's not something you really get cured of. It's something that you, if you eat the right diet and live the right way, you can kind of su- suppress it so that it doesn't impede your life. We know that it's still there so that if Joanna ate wrong or spent too much time in the hot sun or certain other things, it could come back. So she has to be careful. She was already a vegan, but she learned that there were some foods that helped her more than others and that she needed Mm -hmm. to avoid gluten. And she learned that it helped her to have some, a component of fermented foods in her diet and to take certain supplements that worked for her. And she got it Mm -hmm. under control. Yeah, autoimmune illnesses, a lot of time, it's a question of how you manage your lifestyle, correct? It's mostly the diet. And it's also about how you manage yourself. It's good to know. And 
So there are people that say, hey, I'm vegan, but then there's also some junk eating associated with being vegan, correct? Well, the word vegan just means you're not eating animal foods, mm -hmm. you know, so you can have uh, vegan donuts and vegan cupcakes mm -hmm. and beer and be a vegan. Mm -hmm. You know, the important thing is to be a low-fat, whole foods vegan, mm -hmm. to try to avoid processed foods, avoid sugar, avoid oil eat a lot of healthy foods, a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and mushroom. Mm -hmm. What about carbs, Glenn? There's so much discussion around carbs and people think eating carbohydrates are bad. Yeah, I talk about this. I have a new uh, PowerPoint that I've started to do called A Convenient Truth. Mm -hmm. And I talk about carbs. You know, it's such a um, reductionist view of food. Mm -hmm. There's, I'll tell you what a carb is. Sugar. Sugar is a carb. When you eat sugar, which is not healthy, it's 100% carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So sugar is a carb. As for protein, egg whites are protein. It's 100% protein. It's nothing but protein. Egg whites are protein. Oil is fat. It's 100% fat. Mm -hmm. So it's true to say oils are fat. That's fat, protein, and carbs. Then there's food. So when you eat a, a Brussels sprout, it's got some protein, it's got some carb, it's even got a smidgen of fat. Mm -hmm. When you eat a potato, it's not a carb. A potato is a food. It's a root vegetable. It's got a lot of carbohydrate. It's got a smidgen of fat. It's got a fair component of protein. So when you're eating food, you're eating things that have protein, fat, and carbohydrate. Now, some, you know, obviously an avocado has more fat than a potato, mm -hmm. but, you know, and a, a bean has more protein than a a peach, right? But it would be wrong to call a bean a protein. It's wrong to call a potato a carb. They're food. Mm -hmm. All you have to know is these are healthy foods. You really don't have to worry about how much is fat, carbohydrate, except you, you do have to concern yourself not to have too much of the fatty foods. You don't want to have five avocados a day, right? So that's really all you have to know. Don't overdo it with the fat. Don't overdo it, I should say, with foods that are fatty. Don't overdo it with foods that are too high in protein. Um, and don't even think about carbohydrate. As long as you're not eating sugar, pure carbohydrate, unhealthy carbohydrate, you know, white flour, um, as long as you're eating healthy foods, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, legumes, mushrooms, you don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. You just need to think about eating as many healthy, whole, unprocessed foods as you can. And the protein and the fat and the carbohydrate will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most people don't even realize that. Like certain vegetables, they are a good source of protein. And most people are unaware of that. I grew up vegetarian. A lot of times people would come to me and ask, hey, where does your protein come from? And we didn't have to sit there when we were young. You know, we were raised in a household that was vegetarian. We didn't have to sit and count, hey, where is my protein coming from? Where's my carbohydrate coming from? And where's my fat coming from? It was always a balanced plate inherently. Right. The answer to all those questions is it comes from food. As long as you eat food, you're getting your protein. As long as you eat food, you're getting your fat. As long as you eat food, you're uh, getting your carbohydrate. And you don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you just want to be eating healthy foods, unprocessed foods, and not eating uh, croissants, you know? Yeah. And you said unprocessed. And that's another book in fact, of yours with Chef AJ, correct? Right. Yeah. Yes. 
why don't you tell listeners a little yeah. about unprocessed? Well, yeah, it the, the unprocessed. There are two books. One is called Unprocessed. One is now the tenth anniversary edition of Unprocessed. They're both more AJ Chef AJ's book than mine. I simply helped her with the writing. Mm-hmm. Chef AJ told her story in Unprocessed about how she struggled with obesity and and learned to eat unprocessed whole foods and how that improved her health. Um, and then she went on further in the next book, The Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss, to really give a lot of weight loss techniques. And now she's a, a great weight loss guru to help people uh, lose weight in a healthy, sustainable way. Yeah, there are lots of ways to lose weight, but you want to do it in a healthy, sustainable way. Yeah, it's good that you pointed out that eating whole food, plant-based and unprocessed foods is highly significant there. But does the medical system realize the importance of nutrition? Or how do you think they handle it all? What knowledge are they able to impart to patients? How is that whole thing you think is playing out? Well, I highly recommend that everybody try to find a plant-based doctor. And there are plant-based doctors, you know, all over the country. Uh, there's something called the Plantrition Project, where you can look up plant-based doctors. There's the uh, American College of Lifestyle Medicine mm-hmm. uh, and other places where you could find a plant-based doctor. If you don't have a plant-based doctor, you're likely to have a doctor who knows about as much about nutrition as your plumber. So uh, I always have to say, you know, when I write a book, I always have to begin with a disclaimer. Uh, You are advised to consult with your physician before you follow any of the advice in this book. Mm -hmm. I am not a doctor or a nutritionist. Don't take my word for it. Please speak with your doctor. Mm -hmm. And I'm always crossing my fingers when I write that. I mean, I don't like you, even on my podcast show notes, I do add that because, you know, we all have to, you know, I guess, kind of uh, put that out. Because the reality is, and this is stunning, this is extraordinary, this is unbelievable. The reality is that doctors go to med school and often study almost zero nutrition, almost none, sometimes five to 20 hours worth of nutrition over four years, very little. And, And I wouldn't be surprised if much of what they study is wrong. So doctors, and many of them will tell you this themselves, they don't know much about nutrition. They're like any ordinary American who you might meet in the grocery store who say, uh, where are you getting your protein? And uh, watch the carbs and all this nonsense. They don't know either. Now, why is it that doctors wouldn't know about nutrition? Because for most people, most of the time, nothing will affect your health more than the food you eat. So it should be the first thing they learn. You know, how could med schools possibly have a program where they educate doctors about all kinds of drugs, about all kinds of diseases, about anatomy, and they don't discuss what keeps us healthy? All I can say is, you know, there you could come up with different theories on it. I talk about this in A Convenient Truth. One theory, the cynical theory is, well, doctors and pharmaceutical companies want us to be unhealthy so that they'll make a lot of money off us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend not to believe that. I mm-hmm. tend to, you know, most doctors I know would be delighted if their patients were healthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think I can certainly echo that because I have come across excellent doctors and they don't, don't yeah. even want me in the office. They want to help me in whatever way possible. Right. I think that 
it's just because doctors are part of the same culture we are. You know, 20% of doctors are obese, 40% are overweight. Mm -hmm. So they just accept that what we eat in the American culture, fried chicken and fish and hamburgers and hot dogs, that this is food. This is what people eat. This is food. This is natural. And if you don't question what food is, if you don't question the idea that people could eat differently, if you don't imagine a world with a vegan transformation, where we're all having healthy, whole food, a plant-exclusive diet, then you might say, what's the point of even studying nutrition? Nobody's going to change what they eat anyway. So what's the point? This is food. We eat this. And I think that's the problem. Medical schools don't question our culture. Doctors don't question our culture. And they're, they partake in this culture and they just assume that all their patients will be having pizza and so forth. So if you're going to have cheese pizza and hot dogs and hamburgers, then you're going to need this drug and that drug to cope with the metabolic disorders caused by the food. Mm -hmm. And they don't even necessarily realize that it's the food that's causing the disorders because they haven't studied nutrition. They just think people get older, they get fatter, they get diabetic they get cancer. You know, it's insanity. I think it's appalling. I think the medical uh, establishment has failed us dramatically. But that's what's going on. Med doctors are not taught the most important thing they need to know. Oh, yeah, we are what we eat. And do you think they're starting to recognize the need for nutrition more now that there are integrative practitioners around. And do you think med schools would start to incorporate more of these in the future? Well, I hope so. I, I know Dr. Clapper, Dr. Michael Clapper, is trying very hard to get medical schools to teach nutrition. He's got a program to try to um, change that. And we have thousands and thousands of doctors in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and not just doctors, but nurses and uh, other, medi other medical professionals, nutritionists, and the Plantrition Project. Uh, and there's the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Mm. So there are good, good doctors out there. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you have this growing movement of thousands of doctors who have discovered that plant-based nutrition is what they should be practicing and, and teaching to their patients. You don't have an equal and opposite movement of thousands of doctors saying, oh, I need to give my patients more sausages. <laughs> there is no uh, burgeoning movement on the other side to, to make people fat and sick with meatballs. You know, so the truth is out there. As I explain in Own Your Health, it's not a struggle between science and science. All the science is on one side. All the science points to a whole food plant exclusive diet. There is no science in 70 years. They, haven't, they don't have one study that eating flesh is good for you. Mm -hmm. So there is no science on the other side. It's just cultural forces. It's science versus culture. It's interesting you emphasize so much more on the culture, Glenn. How then can we bring about this much needed shift in practices? Is it a matter of educating kids about eating real foods, even at an elementary school level, and not wait until, say, med school? And on a completely different angle, how much is social pressure contributing to people eating the so-called standard American diet? 
I've seen kids who are raised vegetarian get ridiculed in schools while in the lunchroom because they eat differently and is there but is there ethnic healthy food? Well, ideally, uh, you know, the political realities are that uh, if we try to uh, legislate that elementary schools go vegan, we're, we're going to run into a lot of resistance. So I think the best that parents can do is get involved with your, with your local schools. At very least, make sure that, you, that your own kids have the option of eating healthy food. And to the extent that we can have a beautiful future and make sure that healthy food is not only available for everyone, but that unhealthy food isn't mm-hmm. provided to school children, that would be ideal. I understand it's hard to bring something as a legislation, and that's not the intent either to force it on anyone here. But from a curriculum standpoint, would it help educating kids on eating right and eliminate junk eating that way, say, bring about a cultural shift? I think it's well worth trying. Parents just have to do what they can what they can do to uh, try to work with the schools and and make healthy options available mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that fight to have plant-based nutrition taught in the schools, you're going to run into some resistance. Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. Environmental education, they learn about that a lot too. What about your book, Food is Climate, where you have written about this climate emergency and sort of this climate erosion that threatens human existence, right? So why is being vegan important in that context, Glenn? There is no way to solve the climate emergency without a global transformation to the vegan diet. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, for the last 30 years, we have known that we would face this climate emergency and the temperatures have gotten hotter and the weather more violent over the last 30 years. And what have we focused on? Fossil fuels. That's what we always hear about, the burning of fossil fuel. Now, if we imagine it, 30 years later, by the way, we're burning more fossil fuels than we were 30 years ago. So the first question I would ask is, how's that working for you? How's that going? Just focusing on fossil fuels where we haven't made any progress at all, really. Mm -hmm. Second, even if in a fantasy tomorrow, all the airplanes went solar, We don't have solar airplanes, but imagine if they got invented and tomorrow all the airplanes went solar, all the cars were electric, and all the electricity for the cars was generated by solar and wind. So it was all renewable. So in other words, imagine in a fantasy that tomorrow we're 100% renewable energy, and we're not burning any gas to cook with, and we're not burning any fossil fuels to heat our home. Even then, the planet will keep warming. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Because we got 25 billion farmed animals out there. We have 1.5 billion cows belching methane, and methane is 120 times as potent a greenhouse gas as carbon dioxide. And don't let them tell you it's less than that. It is. And nitrous oxide, 300 times as potent as carbon dioxide. Nitrous oxide being used, coming from fertilizers used to grow the grain that they feed to cows, 
coming from the manure of cows and chicken and methane coming from the manure of cows and chicken. And, and then we would have all the deforestation of the Amazon. Why? For animal agriculture. And we have the, the grazing of, of land around the earth, which degrades the soil, creates the desert. We have the bottom trawling of the oceans, which is kicking up more carbon dioxide than all the airplanes. So if we keep eating animals, even in the fantasy world that we no longer have gas-powered vehicles and we no longer have airplanes, uh, we have solar airplanes, we're still going to heat up the world with animal agriculture. Mm -hmm. Now let's go with the opposite fantasy. We keep burning fossil fuels, but tomorrow the world goes vegan. Well, if that mm -hmm. happens, then we don't need all that land for grazing, do we? We don't need any land for grazing. So we reforest, rewild the grazing land. That's 37% of the non-ice land surface of the earth. We free up the 6% of the land that's used to grow feed for animals. And we no longer have to transport that feed to animals. And we no longer have to refrigerate those animal meat products. In the vegan fantasy, we have new forests and new vegetation all around the world. And what does that do? It sequesters carbon dioxide. And we protect the oceans because we end industrial fishing. When we protect the oceans, the life comes back into the sea. The phytoplankton populations uh, become more robust. That draws down carbon dioxide. So in other words, the only possible solution, and this is so obvious, mm -hmm. The only possible solution is to start drawing down the carbon dioxide. You can't solve this problem otherwise. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say you have a bathtub. You, you let in the bath and you get a flood and you realize, oh my God, I have a problem here. The drain is clogged and the water isn't draining out. And then you realize, oh, I have another problem. I can't turn off the faucet. Mm -hmm. It's letting five gallons per minute into the bathtub. So you have two problems. You got a stuck faucet, you can't turn it off, and you got a plug drain, nothing's going out. You call a plumber, and he says, all right, here's what I can do for you. I could lower that faucet so you just have two gallons per minute coming in. And you say, well, what about the drain? He says, oh, I can't do anything about the drain. Well, you still got a flood, don't you? Even if you have two gallons per minute coming in and nothing's going out, you have to unclog the drain. How do you unclog the drain? Trees. They draw down carbon dioxide, protecting the oceans, drawing down carbon dioxide, absorbing carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So we have to work on both the drain and the faucet. We have to slow down the burning of fossil fuels, but we have to let the carbon dioxide get sequestered. And there's no way to solve the problem unless you solve the drain. We need at least a trillion more trees on the Earth's surface. We need to stop deforestation. There's no way to do that unless we stop eating animals. It's interesting you mentioned industrialized fishing. There's so much contamination and plastic pollution in the ocean these days. And fish are feeding on these, correct? And everyone is unaware and eating it still. Yeah, people, when they're eating fish, they're eating mercury, they're eating plastic, they're eating all the pollution. So it's a terribly unhealthy food. It isn't human food. There are 
many sources of ocean pollution, but by far the largest source is animal agriculture. We're destroying the reefs and we're destroying the phytoplankton populations and we're extracting all life from the seas. You know, you would think that even if you wanted to eat the occasional fish, you would want a moratorium on fishing because if you want to eat fish, it doesn't make sense to keep this kind of industrial fishing going because in 30, 40, 50 years, there'll be no more fish left. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But a lot of people tend to think they need to feed their child eggs or fish or animal products for protein, right? Well, well, that's a myth. We have to defeat the myths. There are a lot of healthy vegan children out there. Like you already pointed out, so many vegetables have protein content in them too. Then whole food like grains, legumes, beans, all have protein in them. I can relate to that having been raised a vegetarian and growing up in a household of vegetarian food and cooking. I just hope that your books serve as an inspiration to many because there's recipes there to follow, right? Yes, there are recipes in in almost all my books. Uh And when it comes to sugar and oil, what is the impact on inflammation from these? Well, inflammation is, is very important. And, and I think the basic rule is when you're eating human food, you're not going to um, cause inflammation. And when you eat the food that your body is not designed to eat, you cause inflammation. What people have to realize is inflammation goes throughout the system. It goes into the brain. It causes depression. If somebody is fighting depression, I would say, first thing, go vegan, eat a healthy vegan diet and see if that helps it go away. Inflammation is everywhere when you have it in your system. It can lead to heart disease. It could lead to depression. It could lead to um, autoimmune conditions. So you, what you want to do is eat the food that your body is designed to eat. And that's human food, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, mushrooms, legumes. Yeah, I guess in food lies the answer to everything. What about how we protect the land to be able to eat healthy? And in an age of grass-fed meat products or anyone thinking, I have done my part as due to COVID, I stayed indoors and everything seems to be thriving outside, lush green, so it's all bad. So what do you say to all of that and how best can we preserve planet Earth and eat healthy? Well, we have to uh, not fall for the myth of grass-fed beef. Uh, Grass-fed beef is worse for the environment than the confined animal feeding operations. And uh, the confined animal feeding operations are a nightmare. But grass-fed beef is even worse. Uh, and the reason is that the, the uh, and, and keep in mind, by the way, that grass-fed beef is something like 1% of the beef that Americans eat. And uh, the so-called regenerative beef is less than 1%. You know, it's a, just a small, small fraction of what people eat. And it's never, it, it can't scale up because there isn't that much land. <laughs> Where are we going to get the land if we're going to, we we're all going to have five cows in our backyard? It will never be a significant percentage of the beef that people eat. And the reality is that the, the grass fed cows have to live longer to fatten up to the weight that their overlords want them to be when they send them off to slaughter. So if they're going to live longer and they're going to, they belch more methane on grass than they belch on grain. So they're creating more methane per day and they're living longer. So they're creating much more methane 
in their short lifespan. They're also using far, far, far more land. Mm -hmm. And that's really the, the greatest environmental problem that comes from animal agriculture is how much land they use. So it's the grass-fed cows that are preventing us from reforesting the earth. And they're also degrading the soil as they do it. Also on the grass-fed operations, we have what I what's called pasture maintenance fires. There's a an image on the front cover of my book here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a NASA satellite map, and all the red are the pasture maintenance fires on one day, just on one day. Mm -hmm. And nobody's measuring how much carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere from these fires. They what they do is they burn everything that the cows don't eat, mm -hmm. all the vegetation. And that's how they graze animals. And they we've been doing that for 10,000 years. And when they started doing it 10,000 years ago, this area, the Sahara, was a forest. So we created this desert with animal agriculture. And that's across all the way to the Gobi Desert in China. That's 6,000 miles of desert that was created by, at least in part, by animal agriculture. Chopping down trees, grazing animals, degrading mm -hmm. the soil. It's what we're doing to the Amazon today. So in 50 years, look at a map of South America, you'll see a big patch of brown called the Amazonian Desert. That's what we're doing to the earth. And obviously it's not sustainable. It's the greatest crime on earth to destroy forests and biodiversity so that people can stupidly eat hamburgers and get heart attacks. It's just- Well, I hope everyone can derive inspiration and do the needful for the planet. What else is coming up, Glenn, and anything else you'd like to share here? All right. Well, I have a website, uh, glennmerzer.com. People can contact me there. I have another website that I put up when Own Your Health came out, which is ownyourhealthbook.com. I have a newsletter that from either website people can join. I try to do a monthly newsletter on health, and I hope to have a new book out in the next year with the chef Tracy Childs, um, and, uh, and I hope to do something with this new PowerPoint that I have, A Convenient Truth. Thank you so much, Glenn, for taking the time today to talk to us on the show, and such a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Vi. And to listeners, thanks so much for tuning in week after week. Follow me on Instagram at YP Kumar and for the podcast at Fresh Leaf Forever for constant updates. I will see you back again next week with yet another guest and yet another interesting topic. Until then, it's bye saying so long. <music>